amen and amen. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? That's good. I'm, I'm doing great myself. I am so happy to be here with you guys this morning bringing the word. Uh, and I'm so excited for this word. I'm always excited to, to, to preach the gospel. I'm so excited. So you can always expect that excitement from me. My name is Rob Chifokoyo, and I'm the pastor to the Young Adults here at Covenant Church. And uh, we're going through a series called Thrive. And uh, Bob kind of started us off last week uh, by going through Luke chapter 15, and we talked about the story of the prodigal son. And um, what an amazing message that was. I, I got to watch it, uh, live stream it. Uh, so I live streamed the sermon uh, because um, my wife and I were in California. I was preaching at another church in California um, under some really sad circumstances that I can't go into right now, but we were there anyway, and, um, and it was just such a blessing. And um, as we go through the series, we're going to know that there are things that we're called to, the values that we have as a church, what makes us us, is ultimately really what makes up a follower of Jesus Christ. These values are the same things that should be in a, in a thriving follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go through this and unpack some of these values, and this morning I'll be unpacking what it means to be a missional follower. But like I said, I was in, uh, I was in California, and um, I have to say this, um, before I went to California, now everyone in this room, everyone in this room has some celebrity story, right? You, like you almost bumped into Oprah at a restaurant, or you know, you were in the, you know, in the, in the bathroom and Jack Nicholson was in the bathroom stall next to you. Everyone has that like weird celebrity story. And for me, my celebrity story before this was I drove past, and I can neither confirm nor deny that Pink's mom lives on Alms House. I don't know. We should, we should do like an outreach there just so that we can find out. We're passing Christmas cards. Who are you? Is Pink in there? Like, you know, I, we just need the info. Uh, but for me, that was as close as I, driving down Alms House. That was it. Or making eye contact with Justin Guarini at a wedding. That was it. I was like, yay, my celebrity moment. So anyway, we're out in California. My wife needs the bathroom. And uh, my friend says, hey, listen, there's a Starbucks around the corner from my house. So if you really need the bathroom, you can go there before we get home. And so Lisa goes into the Starbucks, into the bathroom. She comes out, and we're ready to go. And my friend goes, as I'm pulling out, that's a celebrity's car. And I was like, what? And he was like, and I didn't believe him. But Lisa's in the back. is like, no, if that's a celebrity, we're turning around and Hope's getting a picture. So anyway, I turn around, skeptical, and we're sitting in the car park, or in the parking lot, sorry, in the parking lot opposite this car, waiting like a bunch of tourists in the Serengeti, waiting for a lion to pounce on an Impala. We're just eager. We're panicking. And then out of the car, out of the car, I kid you not, church, this dude right here steps out, and it's Kobe Bryant. Like Kobe Bryant. Okay, now the details to this story, I don't, I'm not sure if I can remain a Christian and tell you what we did to get this picture. But, um, but what happened after that was Kobe steps out the car, goes back in the car. We go. We're panic mode. We're like, like ER in there. We're like, get Hope out the car seat. You go. You go first. <laughs> and we're getting in there. And I go into the Starbucks. I get to the, to the, to the, to the till. And I'm like, just give me your, your cheapest drink that takes the longest time. I mean, I was like, I just, want, I just want any drink. I don't care as long as I can be in here for five minutes. And so we're in there. And bam, Kobe Bryant, as expected, boom, the Black Mamba jumps in. 
I make eye contact with them, and then I freeze. Church, I froze. I froze. I looked at him, and I froze. And, and so I'm in the Starbucks, and I've made He knows I know who he is. He's Kobe Bryant. So I'm like there, and I'm like freezing, and I'm like, oh, this is so awkward. I had one shot, and I didn't take it. Ah, uh, you know, we're not going to get a picture. This is now super, super awkward. And um, so anyway, we're in there. Hope is playing around. My daughter's playing around. And I lift her up, and at the top of her voice, she goes, Who's Kobe? And I'm like, no, no. I'm like, no. Now he knows we know. Now he knows. Now he knows. So anyway, I had to humble myself and say, hey, Kobe Bryant, can I get a picture with you? My, can my daughter get a picture with you? Um, <laughs> that's how I got in there. And I made sure, you can see the distance. I made sure I can crop hope out. So <laughs> <laughs> like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, the, you know, much like, much like every story that happens every day, you know, you have some time to reflect on it. And I reflected on this, like, the next day I was having a quiet time and I reflected on this meeting with Kobe Bryant. Um, and I thought about it the next day as I was just having a time with the Lord. And, you know, God led me to this one realization. After I had gotten the picture with Kobe Bryant, that's all I wanted. And after I got this picture, I didn't care that Kobe Bryant was there. I'm just being honest. Like, he was there. There was like a five-minute, you know, bit of awkwardness after we had the picture. But I didn't care he was there because I got what I wanted. All I wanted was this picture so I can post it on Facebook. And my friends from Africa with no context at all will be like, oh, my gosh, Rob hangs out with Kobe Bryant. That's, that's literally what I was looking for. And I got it. I was looking for that. I got it. But the reality is after I had what I wanted from Kobe Bryant, I didn't care that he was there. And so as I was reflecting on this, it was like that is the same way we can be in our relationship with God. When we want something from God, we desperately turn the car around in our lives and we jump into different spaces and places, inconvenience ourselves to get ourselves and position ourselves to get what we want from God. But once we have what we want from God, we do not care that he's present. And I was like, that is me. I'm so desperate for you when I need you, but once I get what I want, you could be in the room, like Shalom said earlier, and we could not care. And looking at this story, you know, this, this meeting that I had with Kobe, I'm pretty sure like the title of my next book is going to be The Day I Met Kobe, but the reality is looking at this story, I see the parallels that are drawn even in this passage of scripture as we go through this, um, through this sermon, that we are sent in God's name, and we are sent for his glory. That's the mission that we're on. That's what missional followers are. We're on a mission for God, for his glory. And, and so we, when we take a look at that and we examine that, we're going to see that kind of come to life here in this passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to um, John chapter 20, verse, um, verses 19 to 23. And I'm going to read here. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Father, we pray this morning. We come to you knowing that we are people who are saved to be on a mission, that we're saved to be sent. In your name, Lord, for your glory. I pray, Lord, as I speak, Lord, that you would hide the speaker, that you would be the loudest voice, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would draw us out of our place of hiding, and that you would set us on this mission, Lord, the mission to reach those who do not yet know of the glory, of the sacrifice, of the passion of Jesus on the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we bump into the disciples, and uh, when we catch up with this story, what's happened is Jesus has died. Their, their leader has died. They had hung out with Jesus for three years. They had seen Jesus do amazing things, Jesus do miraculous things. The most powerful person that they knew, the one whom they thought was coming to defeat every enemy that they had, had been put to death. And so, with that news, they run away. They hide. They're locked up in a room, hiding away, because they're like, if they took our leader, we're next. And so they're huddled up in their fear, all up in this room, locked away, trapped by their fear. And you can see that in this passage of Scripture, I try and think like these men who are in this room, these people that are in this room, are the same people that had walked with Jesus. These are the same people that had seen Jesus perform these miracles. These are the same people that were there breaking the bread when Jesus fed the, the, the 10,000. When Jesus was there, they were breaking the bread. They were there. They were part of the miracle. They were, they were there. Can you imagine seeing that? The kind of faith that would build in your hearts seeing a little kid's lunch tin feed thousands of people. Can you imagine how much faith that would put in your heart? But that faith had been extinguished by fear. I don't know how many of us in this room, I can raise my hand and say that I've been at, at places in my life where fear has trapped me, where fear has rendered me useless, that the things that I'm afraid of have, have, have extinguished the faith that I had. I've been at that place, and I know many of us have. And we see that the disciples are at that place. So much faith built up, yet fear had extinguished that. Church, fear extinguishes faith. Fear extinguishes faith. When we are afraid, when we have fear, when fear is what's ordering our steps, it cannot be Jesus that's ordering our steps. We can't have both at the same time. And so we see here that in their fear, they're in that place. And I want to ask you this question, church, this morning. Where has fear extinguished your faith? Where is fear extinguishing your faith? And we can have genuine fears in this room. Some of us have real fears that we go through, that we look at. Maybe some of us have a, a fear of death, a fear of being sick. I, I actually know of people that, that don't go to doctor's checkups, just the regular checkups, because they fear that when they go, that the doctor's going to find the very same thing that took their parents' life or their, their father's life or their brother's life. They're afraid. They're trapped by fear. They cannot even do that. I know some people that are, uh, that are fearful of community because of, of a rejection that happened when they were in high school that they're afraid to engage. They're, they're afraid to join a small group. 
They don't want to be bullied like they were. There's a fear. And what that is doing, it's, ex- it's extinguishing their faith. It's, it's trapping them. Some people who are afraid to invite people. We, I know we live in Doylestown. Afraid to invite people into our homes because we feel that, that they're, they're going to reject us because our homes don't look as beautiful as theirs. Or maybe our children. That one I can raise my hand. <laughs> Fearful of people coming to my home and then my child acting a certain way and I'm like, ah, she doesn't quite represent us. You know, please. <laughs> please come back next time. We'll get a sitter. But, but the reality is we can have these fears and these fears can be real and these fears can rob us of community. These fears can rob us of our faith growing. And so we see that the disciples have fear that has trapped them in a room and they're locked behind a door. But you know, the thing about fear is that fear is based on what ifs. A lot of fear is based on what ifs. What if I get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I lose all my money? What if I lose all my friends? What if the whole community rejects me? What if, what if, what if? That's what fear is based on, but faith is based on what is. Jesus is king. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is leading us. And so faith replaces the what if with what is. And that is where we have to shift our minds and shift our hearts to see that faith is what is. But Jesus just doesn't step in there and just steps into their fear for nothing. Jesus steps in, and the first thing that Jesus says is, peace be with you. Jesus steps into their fear. In fact, he invades their fear. In fact, they're locked behind a door. Jesus doesn't knock. He doesn't ask for permission. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He just, bam, lands in the middle of their fear with peace. Peace be with you. I'll tell you what, wherever you have fear in your life, my prayer this morning is that Jesus invades that space with peace. Uninvited. That Jesus just comes in and invades that space with peace, with his peace. That's what Jesus does. You know, in this, uh, in the, this, this morning, I, I, I kind of want to draw a parallel between this passage of scripture that we're reading here in John chapter 20 and, and another incident and another occasion where God sends someone who is fearful. In, in Exodus chapter 3, we bump into a man named Moses, who's also on the run, who's full of fear, and God invades his fear as well. A burning bush, bam, appears out of nowhere and speaks to him, and in that moment, Moses, who's on the run and hiding because he is fearful, is confronted by God in his fear. And church, this morning, um, I, I want us to know that as missional followers, our fear may not ever go away. We're sent in spite of our fear. We're sent even in the presence of fear. We're sent to move and do the things that God has asked us to do, even though there's fear. One of the books that I really love to, uh, one of the stories that I really just kind of gravitated toward as a a young guy was the story from this book by DC Talk called Martyrs. I don't know if anyone's read that book, but it was just an account of people who had been martyred for the gospel. 
Story after story after story after story. And the one story that kind of comes to mind right now is the story of this Russian underground church that was meeting illegally. And one day, during one of their services, armed men stormed in with AK-47s and masks, and they said, we are going to kill all the Christians in here. But we're giving you one chance to renounce Jesus Christ, renounce your faith in Christ, and leave, and you can live. But anyone who stays, who does not, we are going to put to death. And so people in the church started to leave. Bit by bit, people were wrestling with it, but they left. And, and some stayed and said, well, you're going to have to kill us because there's no way we're going to do that. And as soon as they said that, the men took off their masks, put, on, put down their guns and said, okay, now that we have the true worshipers, let's have church. <laughs> and in the reality of that church, right? You want to think, where would you be, Right? You'd be like, God knows my heart, okay, and get out at the door. But you know, the real, the real deal is that on the other side of our fear, we do not know what lies there. We do not know what happens on the other side of fear. If fear has trapped you, you'd never get to see what's on the other side. And so Jesus steps in to that fear with peace. And what Jesus does in that moment is he doesn't just step in with peace, but he gives them assurance. He gives them assurance. Church was sent with assurance. Jesus here, the next line, you'll see that in verse 20, he says this. After he said this, after he said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That Jesus came in, stepped into that moment, stepped into that space, and Jesus said, look, it is I, it's me, it's Jesus. Look, look at my hands, look at the scars, look at my side. And they were overjoyed. In that moment, the disciples who were in despair, on the run, full of fear, they were like, Jesus really did defeat death. That in that moment, they were overjoyed. Church, that is, why, that is why Resurrection Sunday is the most awesome day ever because what we're declaring is that Jesus defeated death, that he truly is who he says he is, that he is faithful, that he, 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 he's, he crushed the enemy on the cross and he walked out, out of the grave in three days. Church, that is worthy of celebration more, more than meeting Kobe Bryant. I assure you, that is the best news. Church, that is the news that we have been given to share with the world that the one that we follow is so powerful, so glorious, so awesome that he put death to shame and he came back and when he appears in front of his disciples, let's look at this one word. They were overjoyed. Are you overjoyed by that news, church? Are you overjoyed by that news? I mean, are you overjoyed like Carson Wentz, fourth quarter, throwing a spiral into the end zone, Super Bowl, overjoyed? Are you overjoyed? That's how overjoyed we must be because of this news, because that's what happened with the disciples. And so Jesus walks in, he assures them. He says, the words that Jesus says are, again, peace be with you. Meaning, May God give you every good thing. Jesus says that second peace be with you after they overjoyed. And he says, may God give you every good thing. I don't know, my, my version of the Bible, if I was the one writing this story, if I had been in that moment, Jesus, walking into this room, bam, appearing, I would have been like, where were you guys? 
I mean, I spent three years with you guys. You guys smelt like fish all day. I hung out with you. I'm like the king of heaven. I'm out there, and I come down here, and I have to hang out with you guys, with you smelly bunch, and I hang out. I pour into you. I, I show you how to do miracles. You're part of all this stuff. I even washed your crusty feet. I gave you Panera and wine before I went to heaven, and you guys are still, like, you abandoned me. Where were you? Peter's right there. I'll be like, Peter, I told you you're going to deny me. I even gave you a heads up. <laughs> and you still did it. That would be my version of events. But Jesus says, may God give you every good thing. Those are the words that come out of Jesus' mouth upon bumping into the people that abandoned him. And let me tell you this. This is what we can get encouragement from this passage of Scripture, from that one incident. One, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not to step into those who feel like failures by showing them their failure. That's not what we're called to do. And two, isn't that encouraging that Jesus walks in and steps in when we have failed and says, may God give you every good thing and sends us on the mission. He reinstates them. He puts them right back into the place that they were before and assures them, I am who I say I am. May God give you every good thing. And now let's go and do this thing. Jesus doesn't bring up the deserting thing. He says, you have a mission, guys. Let's get back. He puts them back. And then we see here that in that assurance, even as we look in Genesis, as we look in Exodus chapter 3 and we look at Moses, when Moses is confronted by God, when Moses is speaking to God and God's speaking to Moses and there's this burning bush that is not being consumed, God gives Moses assurances. He, he knows Moses needs to see evidence. He knows Moses needs to see some things happening. And so he says, put your, put your staff on the ground. He puts it on the ground, turns into a serpent, picks it up, it turns back into a stick. And he puts his hand in his, in his pocket. He's given assurances. It's leprous. It, put it back. It's not. God is giving Moses assurances, just like God, Jesus is giving the disciples assurances. He's saying, I am who I am. Look at me. Look at what's happening. Jesus doesn't step in there and say, hey, listen, guys, you guys are so special. You're so cool. That's why I'm sending you. Hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. God doesn't and go to Moses and say, hey, Moses, you know what? You're my man. You're the only guy who can do this. You're the only one on this earth. That's why I need you. But God says, and Jesus says in his assurance that it's about me. The reason why you can go confidently is because you have me. The reason why you can go confidently is because I am the one who's going to do it. Moses is given all these assurances in Exodus and even after all those assurances, what does Moses say? Moses says, um, okay, all good that the staff turned into a snake and my hand was leprous, but I have a speech impediment. And God is angered. <laughs> after all those assurances, you're still looking at what you don't have. When I'm saying it's not about you, it's about me. And Jesus says the same thing. He shows them that it is actually about Jesus. He, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and he tells them that you're going to go on this mission. But this is how you're actually going to accomplish the mission. It is actually me doing the work. You know, church, when we're doing the work, we mess it up. But when Jesus is in control and Jesus is doing the work, it's glorious. And so we see that. We see that in this passage. 
that if we're carrying the weight, if you're carrying the weight, if you look at the mission ahead of you, if you look at what God is sending us to do and asking us to do, and it's too great, that's awesome because it's not too great for him. And so we see that he's given this assurance despite his, his fear, despite their fear, despite their, 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 their inability to do something. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. And then we see here that they are sent on this mission. And church, we're sent on a mission too. We're sent on a mission, the same mission that Jesus was on. Look, if you look at this passage, Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has sent me. So Jesus uses that as the basis and, and as, the, as the playbook for what they need to do. Jesus says, what I was sent to do, so I'm sending you to do the same. That is the mission that we've been given. We have been given the mission to go and do exactly what Jesus came to do. And if we don't know, as Bob prayed earlier on, but I'll repeat it for, for us. Bob prayed this. He prayed Isaiah 61 verse 1. And it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for, for the prisoners. That that is the mission. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. And much like last week, we saw that the Father's playbook is, is often so different from how we respond to sinners. That when people mess up, we think that they should give us the, 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 the spiel, that they should give us the speech, that they should stand up in front of us and tell us the reasons why we should take them back. But when we see the father's heart, the father just runs toward the son and puts his robe and his ring and kisses him, kisses him, this guy who had just hopped out of a pigsty, pig poop, and he kisses him and he says, let's go, before you're cleaned up, I will cover you and we're going to have a party. And we see that... Yeah. Amen to that. That's, that's the mission that we're on, church. But here's the deal. Because sometimes there's a communication problem between the main office and the front desk. Because we are the front desk. And sometimes we put away and we go rogue, right? The church, as Christians, let's be honest. Not this church, because we're perfect. But other <laughs> churches. We go off script. And we start doing our own thing. And we go off mission. And we know the reality here is that we are on a mission. I had this one experience once. I had to see an endocrinologist. And I went to see, you know, no one goes to a specialist like going, what do you do? This is my first appointment. I'm really happy. This is going to be good. No, you have all the weight of why you're seeing the specialist, what's going on in your body. You don't know what's happening. Are there going to be needles involved? Like there's all this stuff that's going through your mind. And I remember I went to this one office and at the front desk, the first person I meet, they were just cold, rude, and, and, and they just, they, they probably were having a bad day. I even prayed for them after that and said, oh, maybe they were having a bad day. But I was there and I was like, and they, and they were, and the, what they gave to me showed me, it, it made me not want to see the endocrinologist. I said, can I reschedule the appointment? And I never went back. I went to a different doctor because of the front desk person. I never got to see the doctor. And church, we as Christians, as the church, we are Jesus' front desk people. For some people, the first point of contact with the gospel, with someone who has been affected by the love of Christ is you. 
your neighbor, your workmates, your cousin, your daughter-in-law. That person, the first point of contact when it comes to Jesus Christ is you. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we a good front desk person? Are we, gay, are we off script? Are we doing what the master says we should do? Are we a representative of truly what Christ is saying we must do? Because it's this mission is to seek and save the lost, to, 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 to go after those that are trapped, those that are imprisoned by their sin, those that are shackled by the same sins that shackled us, if it is our duty to go with the word and the good news that Jesus on the cross paid a price for those shackles to be undone as they've been undone in us, if that is our mission, why would we go with judgment and condemnation? Amen. And so church, we're on a mission. We're saved to be sent. We're equipped so that we can go and extend the kingdom of God. So we can enfold the community with the love of Christ. Last night I asked this question. I asked people, do you believe that you live in a Christian neighborhood? Do you believe that you live in a Christian nation? And I'll tell you this, three hands went up. Three hands went up last night in a room with hundreds of people. Like the illustration kind of bombed. That's why I didn't do it today. It's good it bombed on Saturday because you get less emails that way. If it bombs now, it's like, ugh. You know, Monday, you're like, oh, just reply all. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, we realize that the, the mission field is, is, is not far away. At the mission field that we've been called to for so long, we've thought that the mission field has, has been somewhere in deep, dark Africa where they need the gospel. And so we get our Crocs on and our long socks and safari hats and we go and we go. But the reality is that the mission field is here. I heard a professor two days ago, a professor in international, global, and multicultural studies, and he gave this statistic, and he said, guys, this is an emergency, like we were singing. This is an emergency. And he said, the United States is one generation away from being an unreached people group. Now, you know that the mission field is right where you are. You know it. You know that when you walk out the house and you've got your, your Christian t-shirt on and your cross on, that you know that you're going to get looked at in a certain way. You know that when you pray in a restaurant, you're going to whisper the prayer because if you pray loud enough, people are going to turn around and look at you. You know that. So you know that you live in a mission field. And the reality is the mission field is closer than ever before. And I'm not saying that compassion missions shouldn't go out. I'm not saying that those places with less resources shouldn't get those things resourced to them as the church. I, I believe that the gospel compels us to go and do that. But I'm telling you, when you go to Africa, you may not want to just preach the gospel. You may just want to say, hey, here's a blanket. Why don't you preach to me? Because the reality is in 13 years, as he said, this professor said two, years, two days ago, in 13 years time, 40% of the world's Christian population is going to be in sub-Saharan Africa. And so guess what God is doing, I think? I believe God's sending missionaries here. He's equipping people. He's saying, okay, the, the tables have turned. You've never even noticed it. But I'm going to send some people from funny places that you've never heard of before. I'm going to give, amen. Right? And God, and God doesn't care how he's going to send them. Some are going to get kidney failure and pop up here. Some... Some of them are going to come with a guitar and Bob Myers is going to have a girl waiting right there and get married. I don't, 
I know, he's got plans. He always got plans. But, <coughs> but the reality is that God is doing something. And church, this should embolden us to actually know that it is an emergency, that we should be, that we should be the church, that we should be set on this mission, that we should be saying yes to the mission. You know, church in Romans 10, 13, it says this, 13 to 15, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you believe that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, if you've never been sent, hear this, you're sent. If you've never been sent, you're sent to preach the gospel. I've said this before. I don't know if someone's going to come here because of the sweet aroma of Jesus that you leave behind and they're going to follow you to Covenant Church. It says that they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear. And they, how do they hear when we speak? You know, church, the mission field has always been in front of us. I'll close with this. There's a well-known logo. It's the FedEx logo. And um, this logo, actually, um, I see one of my graphic designer friends is here. Um, but it's in the last 35 years, it's been voted in the top eight logos. In fact, design professors always point to this and say, hey, this is, this is like a logo that they'd like to show their students because it's such an awesome logo. And the reason why it's so cool is, is that FedEx rebranded themselves years ago. In 1994, FedEx rebranded themselves because people were calling them FedEx and they were called Federal Express. And they were like, well, we just need to bow to the consumer and change our name. Let's do a real revamp. And so they had this company make 200 different logos. And they made all these logos, 200 of them. And in April, they had come down to just five logos that they were going to show the executives. And so out of these five logos, they show the executives. The executives get into this meeting, and this company is unpacking this different design. And when they get to this design, the CEO, Fred Smith of, 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 of FedEx, stands up and he says, that one, the one with the arrow. And everyone in the room is like, the one with the arrow? Which one has the arrow? And he's like, the one with the arrow. And if you can confess, how many of you have never seen an arrow in the FedEx logo? You've never seen it. Okay, this church, you've got to be honest. And for some of them, some of you don't still see it. There's always, there's always, okay. There were more people than the confession. There were <laughs> too many R's for that. <laughs> Unless someone has got a deep voice back there. But... But the reality is that there's always been an arrow in this logo. And the reason why you went, ah, is because you've seen this logo so many times. And you have never seen the arrow. The thing about that arrow is you cannot unsee the arrow. Every time you get a Fe FedEx package, you're going to be like, the arrow. In fact, you're probably going to go to work tomorrow and go, do you see an arrow? <laughs> and <laughs> try and get a promotion out of it. But the <laughs> I see things, boss. But the reality is that. There's always been an arrow in front of you, and you've never seen it. And you can't unsee the arrow once you've seen it. And church, the mission field has always been in front of you. And this morning, I want to encourage you by saying this. You cannot unsee the mission field. Once you know that the mission field is right next to you, 
And church, this afternoon, we celebrate. We should be going crazy this afternoon, having an amazing time, knowing that as a church, we have decided to say in this mission field, this harvest that is ready to be harvested. We are saying we are going to build a bigger space so that we can make more room. Despite of our fear, we have fears. We don't know if people are going to come. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to say in spite of that, we're going to go. We're going to do what you're asking us to do. And that is the reason why we're in this room, because we're saying we need more room to let people, my neighbors, that guy at the coffee shop, my workmates, so that they can have a place where they're discipled, where they grow, where they follow Jesus with a passion, the same passion that I have. We're not moving into there just so that we can have good bathrooms and bigger seats. We're going in there so that we can make room for the lost. And as we sing this, one last time, church, when we see this, we, we should sing it with a heart to know that that is the Father's heart. That is our mission. That is our mission on paper. How we need to be seeking the lost. And we'll close with this video of a missional follower of Jesus Christ. There are many in this auditorium. There are many in this church. But there's this one story that I really want us to see of a missional follower right here in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Whatever it is that any of us are doing is the gift that God gave us to intersect with whoever is with us. If I was working in a factory, that would be true there. Like, whatever it is, we, we are infused and sent as ministers of reconciliation. I've been blessed by given a key position that I try to hold responsibly and well as God leads and directs. So. I've taken seriously stuff that in, in the Word it says that where we walk is holy ground because of who we're ambassadors of, who we carry with us. That's taken hold really big here because this is my hometown so I've been like triply and quadruply blessed to be able to be in the midst of, of a place that I've grown up and a place that my children have and yeah.